Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verses 15 to 19. Let's stand together and I'll read these verses for you and then we'll, um, I'll give you some insights that the Lord laid on my heart. 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verses 15 through 19. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arunah the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to open your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that your word would go forth as you would want it to go forth and that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct me and open my heart and open the hearts of your people. And Lord, I just pray the word of God would speak to our hearts this morning and please conform us more and more to the image of Christ. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for these things. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First of all, I want to give you the the setting of the context of this verse. We're going to look at two men and one angel. First of all, we see um, King David. Now, King David is near, he's an older man at this time, not quite as old as I am, I guess, but, um, and, uh, no, older than I am. And he's near the end of his reign. And King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. Even to this day, David is the benchmark by which all the other kings are measured. And, you know, when I read about David's life, I I love to personally read the Psalms. And normally, um, in addition to my normal Bible reading, I'll read some of the Psalms every day. And as you read those Psalms, you can... you see David's passion. You see David's love for God. And, but it also, David reveal he's very transparent. It reveals David's heart. And you see that even though he was a man that loved God, even though he was a man after God's own heart, David was still a man, just like we are. And David still had a fleshly nature like we have. And therefore, David could very easily sin if he did not keep his fleshly nature subdued. And in our text verses, we see an instance that resulted when David allowed his flesh to lead him rather than the Spirit of God. And David had been on the throne for many years. He had conquered many lands around him. And there was security in Israel. And for, um, but David became, there's some pride in his heart. And he numbered the people. He sent out his general, Joab, through the nation of Israel. And he says, go out through the people from the north to the south. And he said, number my fighting men. Let me know how strong my military is. 
that was sin. Now, we look, look at that today and we think, what's wrong with that? You know, that, that's sin. Um, but God judged the nation because of that sin. And a lot of times we look at that and we think, wow, what's, is God kind of harsh? No, God's not harsh. God is holy. God is just. And, some, and often we do not see sin as God sees sin. And I think if each one of us could see the awfulness of sin through the eyes of God, we would despise sin in our own lives. But because we don't see sin as God sees sin, we see it as something acceptable or something we need or something we want to do, and then we just, literally, we turn our backs on God and we sin. And that's what David did. And so it, was, it wasn't so much we see in the Bible as there's a classification of big sins and little sins. Be careful with that. You know, a lot of times in Christianity, we've got, these, we've got this classification of sins, except God doesn't do that. Sin is sin. Whether it's a sin of the heart, which no one sees, or it's a, a sin that is um, publicly known to all. It's all sin. It's all wicked in God's sight. And David's sin was a sin of the heart, and it was a sin of pride. And we see in, uh, if you look in, I won't turn there for the sake of time, but in 1 Chronicles 21, we see that it was actually Satan that provoked David to number the people. It was in Satan, he, he, he provokes men, he tempts men to sin. And he provoked David, he said, you know, you're a great king, you've conquered a lot, and says, Take inventory of your men. Take inventory of your strength. See how strong you are. And that was Satan provoking David. So we see that when David numbered the people, it wasn't the will of God. It was clearly the devil's will. And when David went to his general Joab to number the people, Joab, if you read about Joab, he was not a very spiritual man. Joab, you know, if it was like a, if it was like at a church, we could say like Joab was part of the pastoral staff, Joab would be some heavy baggage to deal with all the time. You would have to do a lot of damage control because of Joab. Joab was always, he, he got things done, but he got things done, you know, Chicago style. I'm from the Chicago area, and, you know, the Chicago River, I don't know how many people are in the bottom of that river with cement shoes, you know, just standing down there. There's probably more down there than up top. But uh, it's just, Joab was Chicago style. He just knocked people off and get what he wanted and just move up. But Joab, this very unspiritual, this very fleshly man, he, he resisted David. And he told him, you know, you don't want to do that, David. You know, you got plenty of people. Don't worry about it. And God was using that unspiritual man to warn David. But David had this sin of pride in his heart, and he wasn't listening, even when this unspiritual, very, and Joab was a proud man, even when he spoke. And that shows us that the sin of David. But David went ahead and numbered the people, and then the plague came. Now, at the end of the plague, David had a very different heart very repentant, very humble, much like the David we normally see in the Bible. So the first person I want you to think about is King David. 
and think about his sin, but then again how he repented of his sin at the end. The second person is Aruna, or Ornan. He's got two different names, two different places in the Bible. This man was a Jebusite. That's very important to remember. He was a Jebusite that lived in Jerusalem, that owned the land God wanted as a, uh, as a parcel for his altar. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 18, it says, And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. The Jebusites were the people that lived in Jerusalem, but they were not Hebrews. They were actually part of the, the people that God commanded Joshua to destroy and to drive out of the promised land. When Israel came up under the, the leadership of Moses and then it was transferred over to Joshua and as they entered the promised land, God told them, drive out and destroy all these people and you possess the land. Joshua was never able to completely take Jerusalem. In fact, all through the history of Israel, they, they were able to get some portions around it and there, so forth, but they couldn't get the city. The city was too well fortified. And so it's many, many years later, King David came to, um, he had recently been made king, and there was some divisions, and the kingdom was being united. And David decided he's going to conquer this, this thorn in the flesh of Israel, this city of Jerusalem that was uh, a very important city, but they had never taken. So David conquered the city, and then David made Jerusalem the new capital of his united kingdom. Now, the Jebusites were the ones that had control of Jerusalem. So this man, Aruna, he knows King David. This is the king that conquered his city. This is the king that brought in and literally occupied their city and took their city away and made it their capital. Now we see in our, our text, it talks about the threshing floor of Aruna. I grew up on a, a, a farmstead west of Chicago. And... When you go out the door of my mother's house and you look on the barn, you see written in white letters, 1900. That's the year the barn was built. That's the year the house was built. Now, it wasn't in our family all that time, but many of those farms in that area, you'll see it says like, you know, century farm. It's been 100 years of one family's possession. And when you get in that area, people don't sell the land. You know, you come up and say, well, I'll give you a million dollars for an acre. And they'll say, so? It's not for sale. This is, our, this is our heritage. It's our family land. We're not interested. In Aruna, that land that he had, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure, but it's most likely he had received that as an inheritance from his father, like most of the people had. And so I would imagine that if he had received that as an inheritance, that threshing floor was a place that he grew up as a child. And I remember on the farm when, during the harvest time, that was always a really special time when you're out in the combines and, you know, you're taking in the corn and the soybeans, and it's just, it's exciting time. And Aruna, would, he would go to that threshing floor. That's where they would bring in the, the wheat and the barley, and they would thresh it, and that's where they would separate the, the chaff and the grain. 
And that's a time of, it's a time of rejoicing. So this land that God wants has been in this family of this Jebusite for a long time. And the man that wants the land is the king that conquered his land. Now think about that. If you remember that, you're going to understand something later. And then we see the angel. This angel came and um, he brought judgment on the land. I'll just I'll skip over the angel for, for now for the sake of time. But the angel stopped just outside of the threshing floor. And God told the prophet to tell David, go, purchase, go get that threshing floor, set up an altar there, give me a sacrifice, and I'll stop the plague. And if you look in 2 Samuel 24 and verses 20 to 21, it says, And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. So David came to him and he said, I came to buy your land. I came to buy this threshing floor that's probably been in your, your, your family for hundreds of years. I want to buy this, 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 this threshing floor, this place where you make your income. This is where you, you separate your harvest. This is, this is your livelihood. He said, I want to buy this land and I want to set up an altar to my God. Well, why, David? To stop the plague that's killing my people. Aruna could tell by the look in their eyes it was urgent. He knew that people were dying all throughout Israel. And they knew that an altar needed to be erected, a sacrifice needed to be offered to the Lord to stop it. And this man that had his city forcefully taken from them. Said these immortal words. It's recorded also in 1 Chronicles 21 and 23. It says, And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering, I give it all. When I think about, you know, someone that gives it all, that's, that's, that's a great sacrifice, that's a very honorable thing. But when I think about who this man is, and who he's giving it all to, and why he's doing it, it's an amazing thing. And in God reveals it was amazing in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 23. And he said, all these things did Aruna as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. The God, the Lord, described this Jebusite, Aruna, he said, as a king. He did not say he is a king. He said he gave as a king. He gave Something, he gave something that was extremely valuable. He gave everything. He gave his land. He gave the oxen. He gave his threshing instruments. Um, literally, he gave his livelihood. He just, 
David came up and he said, I need it, and he gave it all. And God said that this man had a heart like a king. And he gave it all to help the king that conquered his city. He gave it all so a sacrifice could be, an altar could be erected, so a sacrifice could be altered to save the people that conquered the city. It's an amazing thing. He gave it all. Now, when you look at the Bible history, you see that threshing floor was not just an ordinary piece of farmland. See, this was the city of Jerusalem. This is where a man many years ago named Melchizedek was the king of Salem. This was a a place that many years ago in Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham, Take your, 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 your son Isaac, go to this mountain, go to this place that I'm going to tell you, and you go there and you put up an altar on that, that, that place, and you sacrifice your son for me. And you know the story is, that is Abraham was very old, he was up in years, his son Isaac is probably about 30, 33 years old, and he took Isaac up into the mountain, and he told his servants to wait there, and he went to the place God told him, and they built the altar, and, he, and they put Isaac down on it, and Abraham lifted up his knife to give it all, his only son. And God stopped him. And God told Abraham, he says, now I know you fear me. He says, there's a ram over there in the, the thicket. Go take that ram and sacrifice him. This place where this threshing floor is the same spot. This is Moriah. This isn't just an ordinary spot. This is a very special piece of land. That's where God wanted the altar. And many years before Aruna gave like a king, Abraham gave his own son like a king as an offering at the same spot. And that that offering that Abraham did, it's just a parallel of what God the Father did with Jesus Christ. And God the Father gave his son as an offering To save who? His friends? No. His enemies. You and I. Every single person that's born on this earth is born dead in trespasses and sin. We're born as an enemy of God. Flat across the board. Every single person. It does not matter. All of us. And God gave his son on Calvary's cross to suffer and to die and to be buried and be raised the third day is in a, a sacrifice and an atonement for our sins, God's enemies. You know, I'm glad God's not from Chicago. You know, God would just say, what, you know, I gave you this earth, I gave you the garden, I did all this for you. No, what did you do? You ate the fruit. And just, you know, and just destroy the world. God didn't do that. He said, I gave everything to you. You spit in my face and you turned your back on me and you sinned against me. Okay, I'll give you everything again. I'll give you my son to pay for your sins and to 
to make a way of restoration. That's what Abraham pictured. And what happened there on Mount Moriah many years before David got there was God giving his son as a king for us. And then we see Aruna giving his land as a king unto David so an altar could be built, so a sacrifice could be offered, so that the, the plague could be stayed. And then I want to look at King David again. David heard the offer. He heard, here, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you freely. But David, in 2 Samuel verse 24, or chapter 24 and verse 24, he said, And the king said unto Arona, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Aruna gave everything to David, and David said, thank you, but no thank you. He said, I'm going to pay full price for the land. And I, I don't think David haggled and tried to get a discount. He just said, What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the market value? I'll pay you market value for these things. You see, the, and right there, we see David's heart's very different than before. Before, there was a lot of pride. Now, he's, it's, it's a very humble heart. And he says, I've sinned against God. God needs a sacrifice from me. And he says, I'm going to give a sacrifice. I'm not going to have somebody give it to me free, and then I'm going to give it to God. He says, I don't work that way. A sacrifice is a sacrifice. A sacrifice has to cost someone something. If not, it's not a sacrifice. You know, if, if somebody says, you know, you know, uh, here's $100 for your church in Korea, you know, to build the Korea. So I, I give it, and okay, I'll put it over there, and that's for there. It's not my offering. It didn't cost me anything. That was somebody else giving. All I did was just transferred things. And David said, I'm not... I'm not transferring your gift to God. I'm going to give God a gift. That's how we worship God. You know, a lot of today we've got Christianity, I think, is getting a little too comfortable. It's like, yeah, just everybody be comfortable, everything be, you know, nice and easy. Where in the world is that in here? Christianity is based on one thing, sacrifice, sacrifice. Our salvation is based on a sacrifice. The Christian life, it doesn't stop there. Romans 12 um, in verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christianity is all about one word, sacrifice, a sacrifice of love. God gave a sacrifice of love to make us his child. We give our lives as a living sacrifice, another sacrifice of love for him. And when, when David is at this point in his life, he's like, God wants this piece of land. He wants an altar. He wants a sacrifice. I'm going to pay and give what God wants. And it's a beautiful picture 
of two men, Aruna the Jebusite, his heart of love giving his all to, for a sacrifice to save people, David not taking the gift but paying for it, his attitude of giving the sacrifice. And it, it's all of both these two men, they gave like kings. And they both mirror the king of kings and his gift. And when I think about that, it makes me wonder, am I serving God like a king? Am I giving him that daily, that living sacrifice. I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about every day we get up. Every day we go to God and we thank him for his love and we give our lives as a living sacrifice. And what I just want you to think about this morning is don't worry about whatever the people are doing. Just ask yourself, God, am I doing what you really want? Am I really daily presenting my life as a living sacrifice? You know, in Israel, there were these morning and evening sacrifices every day. I think that's a picture of our lives. Morning and evening, morning and evening. We just keep our life on the altar. Just keep that sacrifice, that sweet smell going up to God. And I just want to leave you with that this morning. Is your life like a king in God's sight? Not, not other people's sight, not comparing each other with each other. What's God think about us? Because that's all that really matters in this world. He loved us and we're undeserving. What am I doing for him?